0: Fifty-two years ago this past January, I walked in to this chapel for the very first time as a student, and this has become a very sacred, hallowed place for me ever since. I have had the unusual privilege, I think, of walking these hallways with six of the eight presidents of this institution. Beginning with Frank Bateman Stanger. And I can assure you that God has been reigning in this place for this half a century. And I could spend the rest of this time and far more giving you Wonderful examples of how God has His hand on Asbury Theological Seminary. Now, granted that I am pre- uh, prejudiced, and I know that there are other fine seminaries in the United States, and I, and I give them their space, but there is none like what God has raised Asbury Theological Seminary up to do in the world. And you are a part of that. Some of you are first time students and others of you have been here for a year, two years, maybe three years or longer. And I just want to take a moment to remind you to hold your head high and and understand what a joy and a privilege it is for you to be a part of this movement of God's. God is up to something with you as well as this institution or I'm convinced you would not be here. And I hope you never forget that. I don't want you to be proud in the wrong kind of sense but I want you to be thankful. I want you to be joyful. I want you to take pleasure in telling your friends and your family and all of your acquaintances, whoever you meet, what a God place this is. It is so significant. Now, one of my greatest privileges, as I look back on my life, is to... Have the honors that have been bestowed upon me by this institution. I am deeply humbled and certainly undeserving of what this place and others have bestowed on me. And one of those greatest privileges has been to pastor a number of the past as well as present professors here at the seminary. I can recall 19 professors and their spouse on occasions who uh, allowed me the privilege of being their pastor. And a few of you are here today. And... uh, another dozen or more as I thought through it that I have served as their bishop or their district superintendent and or their colleague in the pastorate. I'm telling you all of this to tell you this is home for me. I've been molded and shaped by God through this place in unbelievable kind of ways. And I'll always be grateful. And I'm very grateful today for this privilege of uh, uh, being able to be here and say that to you today. And a a real special privilege, uh, Dr. Whitworth, to be with you. Uh, Albin is my beloved friend and we, we shared ministry together for four years, and, and among many other things, I called him, and most everything publicly, wasn't it, Albin, was he's the greatest evangelist First Methodist Church of Lexington ever had, uh, and I, I mean that to the death of my heart, and I want to salute you, Alvin, here in the presence of these people and any who may be looking on through the screen. One of those persons I was honored to pastor was Dr. Ellsworth Callis and his wife Janet. One Sunday I was away gone from the city and one of our associates was preaching that morning and after he had concluded his sermon he was talking to some who were remaining in the sanctuary and He was talking with the Calluses. And Ken said to Ellsworth, Dr. Callus, I would really appreciate your evaluation of my sermon. (laughs) And uh, Ken said Ellsworth uh, smiled and nodded but said nothing. And so, uh, as they continued to talk, he came back around and, and Ken said again, uh, Dr. Callis, uh, when I spoke of my sermon a few moments ago, I really didn't mean it. I would certainly appreciate your reflecting with me about this sermon. And once again, Dr. Callis nodded, but this time he said, Ken, Uh, You know that I teach some preaching courses over at Asbury Seminary. And I would really appreciate having you as a student in one of those classes. Um, And even if you wanted to audit one, Ken, I'd be happy to talk with you and reflect on your sermons. But Ken, he said, I come here... On Sunday morning to worship, not to evaluate sermons. Now, I hope you've come here today to worship. But that's one of the great privileges I've had to work alongside these giants. Who understood worship and its significance at any given moment. In fact, I've been praying and hoping that that you've come with the spirit of Catherine Hankey when she wrote, tell me the story the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and His glory, of Jesus and His love. Tell me the story simply as if to a little child. For I'm weak and weary, I am helpless, And defiled. And then what became the the chorus. Tell me the story of Jesus. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the story of Jesus and his love. And then she wrote in verse 4 tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. And when the the Lord's bright glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Christ Jesus makes thee whole. So I came believing that was your heart. And I want to simply and succinctly say you and I have sinned. We have fallen short of what God intended us to be. And this bright light that God created to shine through us went black. This beautiful being created in the image of God crumbled back into dust. Isn't that what we're thinking about? some on this 24th day of Lent. How tragic. How sorry we are. I can only imagine what we've done to the heart of God. And even as was suggested in our call to worship, we repent. Now the next part of the story we all know too well. If somehow we were hearing this next part of the story for the very first time, some of us would lose our breath. And some of us would fall into weeping and sobbing. And some of us would shout. And some of us would take off running to tell our family and our friends. And by all likelihood, the agenda of this chapel service would need to be rescheduled. Why, you say? Because the Son of God, the Creator, Himself showed up on this earth. And he made a way where there was no way. He reversed what was irreversible. And he put a light back in to anyone who hated the darkness. And miracle of miracles. He crushed the chains of death and dust themselves. Why? Why? After what we had done, who can explain it? We have a word for it love. God's love, we say. But who can plummet the depths of that love? For sure, what happened in this part of the story demands my soul, my life, my all. And giving your soul and your life and your all has been often called discipleship. It's a part of what I understand from Jessica is your, your theme for the year. And discipleship has generally been defined as being a follower of Jesus Christ. But I think our scripture lesson today Paints an additional picture of what it means when you give your soul, your life, your all. And uh, let me explain just for a moment about that. What is this? Calling to which you have been called that the apostle is talking about in the first verse. I think it's a calling to relationship, a calling to a relationship with the Holy Trinity. Now, I want you to hold on to this for a moment. Because this calling is not only to be a follower of Jesus, but it's a calling into the family of God. If that doesn't warm your heart, I don't know what will. If that doesn't excite you, I don't understand you. God has not only through Christ restored us as creatures, but we have become sons and daughters of God's. Isn't that incredible and amazing in the story? Now, hold on to your hat because in addition because we are family God has put his DNA in us his own Holy Spirit has come to dwell in us follow we're family and we now have been imparted with his DNA as I move in the story that's where for me the fruit of the spirit enters the story you see that's what you're Thinking about, I understand, uh, uh, particularly this week or this period of time love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control is the DNA of the Holy Father, the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's not something that we should admire or or just say, isn't that nice? Or someday maybe part of that could be my description. No, no, no. The fruit of the Spirit is to be an attribute of every child of God. Every child. Uh, God just doesn't want you to admire the fruit of the Spirit. God intends for every son and every daughter to have His DNA. Now that's the context of what brings me to this brief moment of talking about patience, which was I volunteered to address today. The patience of God is certainly beyond words. It's more than amazing if you start with Adam and Eve and go on through the rest of the history of humanity up to this very moment you will easily see this endless thread Patience and an astounding patience by God. And never, from my vantage point, was his patience greater than when they arrested our Lord. Put him through unbelievable humiliation. And finally stomped on him in the sense of taking his life by crucifixion. And God remained quiet. In this incredible tragedy, this incredible wrong God was patient now many of you will remember when Paul was describing love in 1 Corinthians 13 the first word he used was patience I hope you never forget that. Patience is not something that is nice for people who are mild-mannered or just sort of wired that way. Patience is not optional for a son or daughter of God's. Patience should be an attribute of everyone who claims to be the child of God. Now, I know that's rather hard, but it's the truth. And I have a strong suspicion. That one of the biggest challenges that most of us face in allowing God to put this DNA in us is our busyness. This is one hurried society. And I do not have to tell you that the internet, cell phones, and now in the pandemic, Zoom, and all of the other technology is only shifting us into another level and gear and it's dangerous in fact uh, in his book uh, the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer he says love joy peace patience are incompatible with hurry and later he writes, it hit me like a freight train one day that in America you can be a success as a pastor and a failure as an apprentice of Jesus. In fact, he says you can win a church and lose your soul seminarians need to hear that Uh, i make a confession to you when i first came here i was a student pastor Uh, i had a church with a lot of responsibilities 40 miles away and. Joyce and I had been married uh, about three years and our first little beautiful daughter was coming along. I had every reason not to be focused on God having my complete being uh, from an unhurried standpoint. And I promised God I would mention this today. I don't like to admit it. But you could do the same thing. You can glide through this institution. And you can miss Donna Covington and all of the people who surround you in the midst of trying to help you understand that one of the Unique things about Asbury Theological Seminary is the spiritual formation. That somehow God has made it clear that if we are here, we ought to be putting first this idea of being a son or daughter whom God is putting his DNA into. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Now I know that there are probably uh, some of you who may be thinking, "Well, I hear you, but but I'm busy." And uh, I think probably most of you have read or heard about uh, John Ortberg. Uh, speaking to Dallas Willard one day when Ortberg was still at uh, Willow Creek and he asked uh, uh, Dallas Willard uh, what do I really what do I really need to do to be successful as God's person tell me what I need to do and he said there was long silence And then Willard said to him, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And after a period of silence, Ortberg said back to him, but what else, Dallas? And Willard said to him, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There is no other. Because busyness and hurry can be the greatest obstacle to spiritual development. I know some of you, someone may be sitting here thinking, well, but if God wants me to have his DNA, he he just needs to put it into me. Okay. (laughs) I understand. I'll make another confession to you that some years back, I was so sick and tired of this human condition that I yearned deeply for God to fix me. I I meant it when I had said to him one day, if you need to take me within just a hair's breadth, if you please, in my life, I think I'm ready for you to do it. If you'll just fix me. And uh, I was in uh, our enclosed sunroom at the back of the house one day and I was expressing this yearning. I, I, I craved for it. Fix me. Fix me. And uh, as I listened, uh, I, I became aware that I had a seed in my hand. Uh, this water here is part of an object lesson. I, I love, in my alone time, to have a glass of ice water with a lemon squeezed in it. And apparently, I had been drinking from the glass and had caught a seed and unconsciously put it in my hand. And it's this inner voice inside of me. Said Al, that seed, you can talk to it and beg it and tell it anything you want to tell it that it should be bearing fruit. It's never going to bear fruit, Al. But I have a plan for that seed and if you take it out in your yard and you plant plant it down in the ground and give it a place for nourishment I'll, I'll provide some rain for it I've already put some nourishment in the ground I'll provide the sun you get the drift of what I'm hearing in my soul it, it'll become a tree and one of these days in my right time that tree will bear fruit. See, the love of God was telling me I want to transform you from glory to glory. I, I want you to spend time regularly, daily with me One of the things I testify to is I come more and more and more to realize the length and the width and the height and the depth of His love for me and of His desire. For me to be a fruit bearer through his DNA now I want to hasten it's time to close but I want to I want to tell you we are very much in illusion about self-control this world has captured so many of our minds that we are actually thinking that we have the innate ability to do whatever God wants done. That we can live this Christian life in our own strength. That is a lie. That is wrong. We are family. We were never intended to be separated from God. I will tell you the truth. The Holy Father, the Holy Son, the Holy Spirit, whose very essence is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. Say, say to you and me, come unto me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And then he continues to say, my way is gentle and humble of heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Take my yoke, for it is easy. And the burden is light. Be still. And know. Know. He is the Father. You are the daughter. The son. Be still and know that his DNA is to be living in you. I say this to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.